Hannah today. And as the book of Samuel begins, it picks up in history where the book of Judges left off. And I know you have all read Judges recently, but I'm going to remind you of the last line of Judges, which said, In those days there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. So the nation had fallen into um, a rather ungodly way of living. It was not the Israel that... God had been raising up the people to be. And so we are going to move into the way that God works in the future to begin once again to redeem his people. So it's a critical time in their history. Everything is in a low moral state. And um, God is about to enact events that will change that. So we're going to meet the people that are important in this story. Nice reading, Deborah, of difficult names. (laughs) Elkanah had a lineage. He He was the father of the household, and if you go back and if you heard the way that she read it, um, they list at least three of his ancestors. Now that was for the Jewish man, um, the way that his name and his life was carried on. You know, they weren't, at this point, believing in a resurrection. So their, their family name is what carried them forward. Now, <clears throat> he was likely wealthy, and um, we now know he had two wives. Hannah was his first, <clears throat> and Hannah's name meant charming, attractive. And he married her first, and she was the love of his life. However, Hannah could not conceive. She was barren. She could not conceive and have children, and as I've just told you, you need the lineage to carry your name forward. He needed a son. So he married Peninnah. Now, her name, ironically, means Fertile, prolific. <laughs> so she is identified in the story as a child bearer, and she has in fact produced many children. Now think about them all living in these close quarters and the children running around and maybe some of the little ones climbing up on uh, Elkanah's lap, pulling at his beard, and, you know, the laughter and all of that that goes on with childhood. I think about Hannah, who is living in the midst of all this. And I'm going to tell you that the most important thing a woman could do was provide a male heir in ancient Israel. If she did not provide a male heir, um, she literally could be thrown out. But we do know that Elkanah loved her. So they go up to Shiloh, which is where they went to worship. This is before the temple in Jerusalem, although Shiloh is near Jerusalem. They go up to worship once, um, once a year. 
And when they go up to worship, they always sacrifice an animal. And in this, and in what we heard today, Elkanah sacrifices the animal. He gives the portion to Peninnah for her children and herself, which is a nice portion. And instead of only giving Hannah a single portion, which is what she should have gotten, he gave her a double portion. And what does Hannah do? She weeps. She doesn't eat. And I read a couple of things about um, speculation on Peninnah's attitude because they're very close together at this time as when they're traveling up to Shiloh. And some little pretend conversations that happened, like one of the children saying, Oh, Mommy, doesn't Hannah want to have children? Why doesn't she want to have children? And Hannah had this ability to just wrangle Hannah. And so Hannah leaves in tears. And she goes up to worship and to cry in the sanctuary. Now, she is deeply, deeply in prayer. And her lips are moving, but she's praying from her heart. So Eli, who is sitting there, of course, doesn't hear her. But what you need to know is that Hannah has realized she has no ability to save herself. There is nothing she can do to make herself fertile. She has not produced children. She is barren. And it is heartbreaking. And she goes before the Lord. And she lays out her woundedness, her pain, her disappointment, her inadequacy, her um, desire for this male child. She pours it all out, every bit of it. And she turns it over to the Lord. And Eli looks at her and says, Lady, you're drunk. What, you know, Jesus, no, I'm not. I have really poured out my soul to the Lord. And Eli says, well, blessings on you. I hope what you pray for comes to pass. So, have you ever had that feeling when you can't do anything about something and the only thing you can do is go to the Lord and the hard part is leaving it there? How many times have you laid out your heart, prayed to the Lord, and two days later, picked up the same burden once again. I recognize some kindred spirits here. <laughs> but Hannah doesn't do that. It tells us that she leaves there and her countenance is changed. And she goes back and she eats. She has, in fact, left this burden that she cannot do anything about with the Lord. Deeply in prayer, and in that prayer she has said, if you will give me this son, Lord, 
will give him back to you. Now, I don't know about you, but that is just heart-wrenching for me. You know, she's prayed for this child for so long. She wants this child. She says, if you will give him to me, I will present him back to you. What could be her only child? And she says, he'll be a Nazarite. He won't drink drink wine. He won't cut his hair. He will be dedicated to the Lord. So, all good things come to... um, come to pass, and and before we get to this point, I want to point out that in the scripture, God said, it said God had closed her womb, which sounds very harsh to us. It was, in fact, their understanding that that happened, but then he opens her womb, and her barrenness is healed. Now, it's interesting to find out that she birthed this child at just the right time in the history of Israel. Now, remember, Sarah was, and and in fact, she joins a line of people, women, who have given birth after being barren. Um, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. She had been barren. Isaac's wife, Rebecca, remember her? She was barren until she finally gave birth to Jacob. And Jacob's wife, Rachel, was considered barren until she finally bore Joseph. So now Hannah enters into this line. All of the figures that were birthed before have impacted Israel's history. And so will this child, Samuel. So when the child is born, and she names him Samuel because he's a gift from God, Hannah doesn't go the first year up to worship, and she tells her husband, who has also, you know, waited for this child, I'm going to take him back to the Lord when I'm done nursing him. And so at age three, she takes him up with a sacrifice. And she tells Eli, I prayed for this child. Remember, you blessed me that day, and now I am bringing my son back to you to serve in the temple. I am giving my child, my longed-for son, to God. And so she leaves him. And every year at this time when they come to worship, she will end up bringing Samuel a new little outfit, and she'll see him once a year. Her story doesn't end there, though, because she ends up having two more sons and three daughters. So her her years of being barren are over. Now, she fulfilled her vow. And I wonder, that made me wonder, how many times I've said, perhaps you have too, well, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. And you might have done it for me. I didn't really want to do it back. I, I mean, I, really, I just said it. And I, you know, I didn't mean it. But, but she meant it. She stuck to her word. And Israel's history will begin anew because she did. If she had not brought Samuel back to the temple, things would have been different. For in fact, 
God works through history. He works through people who offer themselves and give themselves to his service. So this is not only a story of barrenness, which is what was oppressing Hannah. It's a story of salvation. God saves her. Not only is he working in the salvation of the nation, but think now, Penanek hasn't anything that she can use against her. She has become um, an equal in that relationship. So she is really saved in her own life as well. So it's a story of salvation, but it's also a story of prayer. So God accomplishes his purposes through the prayers of his people. Because Hannah was willing to lay out her pain, her barrenness was taken away, God opened her womb, and he, who knew all along that he was going to do this, he would have given her this child. So, man, if that had been me, I wouldn't have brought him back. I would have kept him. <laughs> would have, that was such a hard thing to do. I look at Hannah and think, wow, what a woman of God she was. But prayer changes things, but it also changes us. Hannah was willing to trust God, and she was willing to give back on that trust. So it made me wonder, okay, what painful things do I need to leave with God, or do you need to leave with God, and trust him to bring healing or light out of them? Because God's plan is much bigger than we can perceive at any given moment. We really don't know. We can hope what the future will be, but we don't know. We have to trust that God will bring about what he says he'll bring about. And what does Hannah do when she receives this child? We said together, her words, her prayer, and things like this. There is no holy one like the Lord. Can you imagine her gratitude? There is no walk like our God. Hannah sings out her thanksgiving to the Lord, even as she gives back her child. So, God works through history. God worked through all of these women that were barren in the past. He worked through Hannah, ultimately, as we know, it will continue on down into the New Testament. So, I've been wondering about this, and I read an article in the Wall Street Journal just yesterday. Does anybody look at the Wall Street Journal? Okay, it's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And it talked about what COVID had done to church attendance and how people were um, so fearful and people stayed away and how incredibly, and it, and it also talked about the fact that church attendance had declined over the last 10 to 20 years, but that churches were going to have to redesign a lot of their worship because you can watch at home in your pajamas with a cup of coffee but you're really not doing church. 
because church is right here. It's in the community of the people. It's in the praying together. Not that you can't pray alone. But church, by its very nature, is community. And so I wonder, how is God going to work in this time? Because he's not going to abandon us. And he is ultimately going to be bringing about his salvation. Even the Gospel of Mark today talked about there will be the second coming. Everything will be made right. I'm wondering what's going to happen in our future. And that maybe we should all be praying for God to work in this time. Because God does work through our prayers and in our prayers. And he changes us. And he, our prayers open us to hear him. Isn't that amazing? That he really wants to speak to us. One of my readings on this morning said, just enjoy my presence. And I think that's what he invites all of us into, to pray, to enjoy his presence, to lay on our burdens, to have our hearts healed, and to rejoice in him. Amen. Amen.